Hello and welcome to I Really Wish You Hadn't. This is a podcast about people and businesses that have made horrible mistakes, have fallen apart at the seams, or have just been generally awful since their inception. They're the kind of people and businesses that make you think, man, I really wish you hadn't. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to I Really Wish You Hadn't. I'm Michael Bentley, and I'm here with Cayman McMahon. Konnichiwa. And as always, <laughs> our producer, Colin Moore. Hey. This week, we're discussing Richard Nixon. Whether you were alive when he was president, or you just know him from Futurama, you know that he had a major impact on the world around him. So, Cayman, before we start the episode, do we want to take bets on how many times we say dick? Uh, <laughs> uh, no, because I feel like if whatever I bet, I'm just going to push it or I'm going to limit myself. Yeah. It's not going to be fair. I, I know how many times it's in my notes. Colin, Colin, right now on a sheet of paper, or I guess on your desktop, considering you're a 21st century man, just type in a number on how many times we say dick. Okay. Both of you combined? Yes. Yeah. Both of us yeah. combined. Don't tell us. Just take a rough guess and we'll see where okay. you're at. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome. for for those at home we'll like edit in how I'll, many i'll make the ding noise from the first episode ding hey colin from the future hey everybody this is colin from the future just uh heads up i put 17 down on my notepad uh which you and i will both quickly realize is a gross underestimate but that's what we're going with 17 i will update everybody here at the end to let you know what the actual total is well, our boy Michael, our boy Michael has been taking some improv. You know, I have get, getting them chops up, getting mm -hmm. those comedic chops up. All for you, the listeners, all to help you out, make you have a better time. So, Michael, let's put your money to the test. Give me your best Richard Nixon impersonation. Just do the Richard Nixon. The people of America need to know if their <laughs> president's a crook. <laughs> well, I'm not a crook. <laughs> <laughs> actually that was spot on that was good you're getting your money's worth thanks bro we don't do impressions like that's not it's not like and today we're gonna do richard nixon everybody do richard nixon i don't know what improv is <laughs> i don't think anyone does so you ready to get into it well yeah just one more thing before we get started if you've never listened to dan carlin He's a fantastic podcaster. He does a series called Hardcore History. Mm -hmm. Just a lot of great historical content. And he actually has a two-hour episode on Richard Nixon. It's not about Richard Nixon specifically, more about the environment that Richard Nixon found himself in. So if, if you really enjoyed this episode and you want to learn more, I highly recommend Dan Carlin's stuff. Just actually just anything that he's ever done. Like, just go check out his stuff. Oh, yeah. He's great. So jumping into it. On January 9th, 1913, in Yorba Linda, California, Richard Milhouse Nixon was born. He was the second of five children born to Frank Nixon and Hannah Milhouse Nixon. His father was a service station owner and a lemon farm owner. His mother was a Quaker, who of course had converted his father, you know, like the oatmeal. So they didn't drink, dance, swear, generally do anything fun for the most part, which I feel like will shed a little bit of light on Richard Nixon. So Nixon went to Whittier High School, where he ran for student body president in his senior year of high school, but he lost to a more popular student. That'll be a theme. That seems thematic. So he did so well 
that he actually got accepted to Harvard. He graduated second in his class, but due to his family's economic status, he was not able to go to Harvard. So he went to his local Whittier College. And he did quite well, well enough, in fact, to be accepted to Duke Law School upon graduation. So he went to Duke and, of course, did well there as well. And he came back to Whittier to practice law. While he was practicing law in Whittier, he met Thelma Pat Ryan, soon to be Pat Nixon, at a local play at his community theater. They were both in the production. Oh, yeah. A little side note about Nixon there. He likes theater and being in theater. Do you know what play (laughs) it was and like what his role was in it? I do not. I didn't even think to look it up. Uh, That seems very odd to me. Like just knowing what I've read about (laughs) Nixon, he does not seem like a theater kid. Yeah, no, he he liked theater. Weird. (laughs) So in uh, 1942, he and Pat moved to Washington, D.C., where he took a job in Franklin Roosevelt's Office of Price Administration. And this is because Nixon wanted to move up. He wasn't happy being, you know, in the small town of Yorba Linda, Whittier, that area. He wanted to make something of himself. But that job blew so hard, he gave up his Quaker exemption and joined the Navy in 1942. <laughs> Was Nixon actually a Quaker? Like, did he believe himself to be a Quaker or did he just kind of ride that? So I think later in life, he wasn't a Quaker. He definitely, I think he definitely was early. He went, mm-hmm. I mean, the high school that he went to, Whittier High School, was a Quaker high school. The college he oh, went wow. to was a Quaker college. So I actually, in testing this, looked up Richard Nixon drinking booze, like just trying to find an image. And it's kind of sketchy. I don't I don't think he may have actually practiced the whole Quaker thing. Really no, 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 no. Did he drink? Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Richard Nixon definitely drank later on. Well, yeah, probably after that, you know, working in the Office of Price Administration blew so hard. Uh, yeah, maybe. Maybe that's what drove him to the bottle. Like, he had a Quaker exemption. He didn't have to join the military. He hated mm. that job. So he saw no combat in his time in the military, but he got two service stars and several commendations, and he eventually rose to the rank of lieutenant commander. Well, he may have never seen combat, but I can tell you someone who definitely did see combat, and that's General George Patton, who you may know from his World War II fame. Oh, yeah. Now... Why do I bring up George Patton? Well, at this time, the California Republican Party really wants to get General George Patton to run as their House candidate. George Patton ends up turning them down because he doesn't really want to roll in politics. And so they then turn to State Commissioner of Education of California, Walter Dexter. Walter Dexter also turned them down because he didn't want to give up his cushy state job for the chance of being governor. So... The California Republicans had to turn to their third choice, Richard Nixon. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, he's a lieutenant commander in the Navy. He served his country, even if it was on the ground. And, you know, he had the law degree. He was a very impressive guy. I get it. Yeah, well, I mean, it really wasn't any of that. It was just he was family friends with one of the guys that was picking. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it was just kind of who you know. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, what are you going to do? <laughs> but... Anyway, so Nixon's going up against the incumbent named Voorhees. I think I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. It's like Jason from Friday the 13th. Yeah, Jason Voorhees. It's not Jason. He's not going up against (laughs) Jason Voorhees. It's just a guy named Voorhees. Yeah, he's going up against Jason Voorhees. Yeah, we get (laughs) it. Toe to toe. But in this campaign, this is where Nixon develops his signature move, which is to call his opponent a communist, (laughs) which he does a lot over the course of his career. And man, did Richard Nixon hate communists. Richard Nixon was able to beat Voorhees in the race and become the House candidate for his district in California. 
And he was even able to make himself into a household name during the Alger Hiss trial. Hiss was accused of being a Soviet spy and, of course, a dirty commie. Hiss was later convicted on two counts of perjury from lying in his congressional hearings. This was all wrapped up in Red Scare McCarthyism, which really could be its own episode. Oh, God. But the idea of it was that communism was just kind of the straw man that politicians would knock down in an attempt to look like they were doing something. There is a lot of straw man anti-communist stuff. But I actually wrote a paper in college about Whitaker Chambers, which Whitaker Chambers is the guy that testified against Alger Hiss. Mm -hmm. I, I think Alger Hiss might have been a communist spy. I literally do. He was definitely a member of the Communist Party. He lied about a lot of things, which makes mm -hmm. him even more suspicious. But yeah, that could definitely be its own episode. Look, I'm not arguing for Alger Hiss. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of conjecture around it. It would, it would be a great episode. Yeah. We, should, we should save this conversation. Yeah. But sure. I am willing to pick this back up mm -hmm. in a later episode. So back to Nixon. As the name implies, Nixon co-sponsored the Munt-Nixon bill, which would require all Communist Party affiliates to be registered with the United States government. And I'm pretty sure I looked and I, I'm not 100 percent, but I'm pretty sure this is the first of Nixon's decisions to lead to public protests. Mm -hmm. And the bill actually did pass in the House, but failed in the Senate. Thank God. <laughs> but all of these decisions solidified Nixon's reputation as a commie crusher. <laughs> How do, no, I love that. We have Tricky Dick, which we haven't even said Tricky Dick or Shrinky Dink or whatever. But Commie Crusher would have been great. Commie Crusher's good. Tricky Dick's coming up. I promise you. Just give okay. it a minute. Okay. So for his House of Representatives re-election in 1948, and this is crazy. I don't know if you know this. Nixon ran unopposed as a Republican. So he did something called cross-filing which is where he registered to run as a Democrat in the Democratic primary also. And here's the damnedest thing. He won the Democratic primary. What? So he was the candidate for both the Republicans and the Democrats. That's legal? In California. It was. They got rid of it. You could only do it in California for a certain period of time. And I, mm. I don't know if anyone else did it, but Nixon pulled it off. So Nixon ran completely unopposed in 1948. Yeah, okay. So riding this wave, Nixon decided it was time to run for Senate in 1950 against Helen Douglas. Nixon, of course, pulled out that signature move of his, and he called Helen Douglas a communist. <laughs> Helen's response was to call Nixon Tricky Dick in her campaign ads. <laughs> Which... I've got to say is a great nickname. Like, it is an awesome I nickname. Like, That's I, I'm so happy you've said that because I've thought that so much. Like I know. I've literally got it in my notes. I'm like, why would you try to be like, oh, look at Tricky Dick? Like, no, you've given him a solid nickname for him to run. <laughs> Tricky Dick. Uh, Tricky I love Dick. it. It's so old, but it's still so funny. It's a great nickname. Yeah. I have to say, I severely underestimated the number of times you guys were going to say dick. Severely underestimated. Well, we'll I was see. like, ah, it's probably not going to come up that much. Oh, God. I, you all might have already passed it. Probably. I, I, I will point out now, you saying dick also counts. Oh, oh great. great. You're adding to those numbers. Now, was she a communist, Michael? 
Okay, so his whole thing about her being a communist was he compared her voting record to a man believed to be a communist, and they matched up pretty consistently. So he said, well, you know, he's accused of being a communist, but she votes the same way, so maybe she's a communist. That's a false correlation. That's a logical fallacy, which you would probably know considering you were on like every debate team that you ever had the possibility of being on and have a law degree. But whatever, Nixon. Okay. The transitive property. Yeah. <laughs> well, here's a fun fact about the Senate race is that John F. Kennedy himself personally donated $1,000 to Richard Nixon's campaign against his own party like nixon's a republican kennedy's a democrat he donates the money because he like john f kennedy hates helen douglas well there you go douglas wasn't liked even by her democratic colleagues so nixon just had this one in the bag in fact nixon won by the largest margin of any senate race in 1950 so in the senate nixon continued to campaign against communism obviously but generally kept a low profile that was until 1952, when he got the offer that would launch his political career into the big leagues. So, yeah, by 1952, his anti-communist fervor had gotten him the attention of Dwight D. Eisenhower. That's correct. America's general. And Eisenhower was a Republican who desperately needed votes in the West. So at the RNC that year, Nixon was announced his running mate. But it can't be that simple. Shortly before the election, it had come out that Nixon may have been misappropriating funds from the campaign for personal use. Of course, a lot of the RNC was very worried about this, but Eisenhower needed those votes from the West. He needed them. So he gave Nixon a second chance. And here's the point where I'm going to tell you for the first time to go look up a Nixon speech. Nixon gave his checker speech, and I'll be damned if he didn't convince me that he was a good guy in that speech. Essentially, he talks about, oh, you know, that's not true. I didn't misappropriate funds. Yes, there was a slush fund, but I wasn't using it for anything inappropriate. And at the end of it, he picks up a puppy and he goes, well, I got one campaign donation that I refuse to give back. And his name is Checkers. <laughs> and it's great. And he doesn't just say his name is Checkers. He goes, my daughter named him Checkers. Like, he... <laughs> He's, he pins it on his daughter. He's like, he's like, I can't give this back. My daughter's already fallen in love with this adorable puppy dog. Well, and he also says the thing here where he's like, my wife, Pat, isn't like those Democratic wives wearing fur coats. She wears a Republican cloth coat. Like <laughs> saying that since she wears a cloth coat, she's more of a Republican, which, uh, okay, Sure. Well, and so I read something that said, like, she was super embarrassed by that. Like, <laughs> Nixon was downplaying their wealth. And she was like, because I'm sure, you know, she was in some kind of like book club with like. Probably in the junior league, honestly. Exactly. And like, they were probably like, oh, you don't have a fair coat. And she was like, <laughs> well, I do. We just can't say that in front of everybody. Yeah, I would like to point out that their their hometown of Whittier, Yorba Linda, which, I mean, they'd moved around a few times at this point. Nixon grew up right next to L.A., uh, and especially when he lived in California, he was right next to L.A. So it's not like he's like one of these Republican guys that's from out in the sticks. Like he's, yeah, it's a big town, especially in the 50s. You know, you had to have an appearance. So, like I said, he gets the vice presidency, and the vice presidency, especially at this time, was a position that didn't really hold power. 
And if you've gotten to see the movie Vice with Christian Bale, like they they touch on this a bit. Like Dick Cheney originally didn't want the position of vice presidency because he's like, why did they don't do anything? But Nixon kind of lucked out. Eisenhower's health was not good. And during his presidency, he had a heart attack and a stroke. So Nixon actually kind of stepped up to be a bigger player than expected. A few of the things that he did while Eisenhower was, you know, laid up getting over his heart attack and stroke was he oversaw the passage of the 1957 Civil Rights Bill. He chaired several high-level meetings, and he started legislation that would eventually lead to the 25th Amendment, which is, of course, the amendment that clearly defines the right of passage if the president dies, who takes over. This was finally passed after Kennedy, but it started during the Eisenhower-Nixon campaign because Eisenhower was like, I might die, Nixon. We need to kind of get this together. So, yeah, so all that was in addition to his regular vice presidential duties. But he did one more thing that's really interesting. So there was a little thing called the American National Exhibition. And you got to keep in mind, the USSR is around at this time, and they're communist. And I think it's fair to say, as we've established, Nixon does not like communists. So the American National Exhibition was a showcase of modern American house in Moscow. And it represented what the average American could afford. And Moscow did the same thing in the U.S. And I don't know why the USSR agreed to this really but as you can probably imagine we might not have been fair i don't know for a fact that we're not fair i i kind of looked at the house but i have no idea what the average american could afford then and i i started to get a headache and i was like this isn't worth it but one soviet newspaper stated there is no more truth in showing this as a typical home of the american worker than say showing the taj mahal as a typical home of a bombay textile worker pretty scathing review but once again, that's kind of biased because it's come from the USSR. So whether or not this was true, Khrushchev commented that the modern American couldn't afford all the luxuries that were demonstrated in this house. And this sparked a little bit of a debate between him and Nixon. Nixon got a little bit riled up. And this argument was actually kind of good for Nixon because, you know, this is something petty. It's not actually going to damage US-USSR relations any more than they were already damaged. But it did show him as being hard on the Soviets, which people loved. Comic Rusher. If you if you were really hard on the Soviets, the Americans loved it because we had an enemy. And whether people admit it or not, we loved the USSR. We loved having that enemy. His whole vice presidency was much more pronounced than it had ever been before. And that really propels him into what's coming up next. Yeah. And so one of the points that I think you kind of missed on that whole thing is Eisenhower and Nixon came in right after Truman. Yeah. Who was FDR's vice president Mm -hmm. and the guy who dropped the atomic bomb (laughs) on Japan. Right. Well, Truman is quoted as saying he didn't even know about the Manhattan Project as vice president. Right. So he came into the presidency and they were like, hey, by the way, we have something that's going to change the face of modern war and you're trusted with it. This further leads back into the point, like I think that you're trying to say, you know, he he's getting tremendous responsibility as vice president that hasn't been really given to someone at this time. Right. Well, that leads him to decide he is ready for the job. He's going to run for president. Boy, howdy. Boy, howdy. (laughs) Because of the recently ratified 22nd Amendment, Dwight D. Eisenhower could not run for a third term. Because of this, Nixon stepped up to maintain the Republicans' grip on the White House. There was just one problem. The Democrats had a secret weapon. And that weapon's name 
was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Hey, hey. Kennedy was a powerhouse of charisma. He's arguably one of the most charismatic presidents we've ever had, and he had the experience to back it up. Kennedy and Nixon both started in Congress in 1946, so they're comparable in the amount of government experience that they have, and they both served in World War II. And on the topic of experience, Nixon did have his vice presidency experience to lean back on, and like you were saying, he had a lot of stuff that he was doing. However, at a press conference in August of 1960, so three months before the election, President Eisenhower was asked by Time magazine to give an example of a major idea that Nixon gave that Eisenhower had adopted as president. To which Eisenhower responded, If you give me a week, I might think of one. I want to pause you. I think that if we're going to have a disagreement here. I think that you're being hard on Nixon. And I do not think that Kennedy was the more charismatic leader. Because when you're looking at it, I mean, unless you're calling his good looks charisma. I have a comment. Colin's got a comment. I have a comment. Yeah, okay, Colin's got a comment. You're saying Nick Nixon's more charismatic. I have to say, out of the two, which one had sex with Marilyn Monroe? Yeah, that's. I was going to make that joke. Have you seen the two? Okay, Colin, if you had to choose to have sex with Richard Nixon or Kennedy, which one would you choose? Yeah, exactly. That's just looks. Looks is not charisma. Being pretty is not charisma. Being pretty is not charisma. Don't eat while podcasting. (laughs) Yes, Colin is eating a sandwich, which is bad. But then again, I've been slamming whiskey the entire podcast, so I'm gonna let it slide this time. Me too. (laughs) There we go. I don't know why. This is our Let Loose podcast. For some reason, we're like, Nixon. It's because Cayman got a promotion. Let's all have a drink to Cayman for getting a promotion. (laughs) I'll drink to that. Okay. So, Michael, I interrupted to tell you that you're wrong, but you can go ahead and continue with your notes. Thank you. (laughs) Cayman, I appreciate you mentioning all the things that Nixon did, but if the public don't know about it, that's not going to win him any votes. Yeah. And when you have the president of the United States saying, my vice president, it would take me a week to think of anything that he's ever done. That is not good. Well, was the question anything that he's ever done or what he's going to do? Please give me an example of a major idea of Nixon's that you adopted as president. Okay, see, that's fair. Nixon was the get it done guy. He wasn't the come up with stuff guy. He he took Eisenhower's ideas and he made them happen. Let's not relitigate the 1960 election. Let's just get through this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're about to. Okay, let's carry on. And of course, as Cayman mentioned, we have to talk about the infamous Kennedy-Nixon televised debate. This was the first presidential debate which was televised to an estimated 70 million Americans. As legend tells us, those who listened to the debate on radio named Nixon the winner, while the overwhelming majority that watched on television named Kennedy the winner. This was due to Nixon refusing makeup and appearing pale, sweaty, and tired, while Kennedy looked tan, prepared, and well-rested. It was apparently so bad that Nixon's mother called him after the debate was over to ask if he was feeling well. Well, I mean, he had a cold. He was so tired from campaigning. The dude promised to visit all 50 states, and he made good on that promise. It's crazy. I wasn't going to mention that, but I did just now. I'm not saying that he's not a hard worker. It's just circumstance. He didn't win. But here's the thing. I went back and watched that debate. You can just YouTube. It's on YouTube. Just Nixon Kennedy. You can watch it. Second time we tell you to YouTube. But yeah, and tell you what. When you go back to watch the debate, 
just kind of turn the camera off. Forget what both their faces look like and tell me who won. The more charismatic person won. The better looking person was Kennedy. I still think it was Kennedy because Nixon gets straight up like grilled on a topic and they're like, Nixon, would you like to comment? And he goes, I have no comment. Like he cracks under pressure every time. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. We're, we're not going to relitigate the 1960s. Look, <laughs> Cayman, I've got, I've got bad news for you. I've got bad news for you, Cayman. I win this debate. I've, I'm spoiling <laughs> yeah. it, but I win. Uh, okay. Okay. Sure. So, needless to say, after all these setbacks, Nixon lost the presidential election to Kennedy. Yes, he did. And after losing to Kennedy, Nixon returned to his home state of California, and he wrote a best-selling book about his time in government. In 1962, the California Republican Party came back to Nixon and said, hey, we've got a Democratic governor that we've had since 1958, and you're the person that can change that. Because you see, Nixon had won California in his presidential race. So he kind of saw this California governor role as the stepping stone to get back at Kennedy so that he could potentially run again in 1964. So Nixon started campaigning for the California gubernatorial... That's such a weird word. The California gubernatorial. Gubern gubernatorial. Gubern gubern I thought it was gubernatorial. Gubernatorial. Gubernatorial race. Oh, well, now that I've said that, I'm I think so confident in it. But now that I'm confident in it, someone's going to say that it's wrong and I'm going to feel like an asshole. I Cotton, it's gubernatorial. Can we, can we, can we get uh, can we get a pronunciation? No, no. Colin, don't you dare. We're going with gubernatorial. It's Go gubernatorial. 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 Not gubernatorial. Gubernatorial. I think it's gubernatorial. It's not gubernatorial. Play it. Move on. Okay, Move on. No, 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 no. We're not, Listen, we're not moving uh, on because I've got it. Let me bring up the button uh, so that y'all can hear it. It's gubernatorial. 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 Get wrecked. Oh, God, that voice sounds awful. I'm sorry. That's what's on Google. Gubernatorial. I can bring up another one. Gubernatorial. 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 Well, you know what? Now I feel like the goober. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Miriam Webster. Thank you. Quality content. Let's move on. So anyway, Nixon's running to be the California governor. That's where we left off. The problem with him running for California governor was he was not the only Republican running. The John Birch Society, which is a far-right anti-communist group, was backing their own candidate to run against Nixon in the Republican primary. So Nixon, commie smasher Nixon wasn't anti-communist enough for these guys to support him. If that gives you an idea of how far right this group was, that's where we're at. Nixon won the Republican primary, but many believe that the Republican Party split, and many that supported the other candidate didn't end up voting for Nixon in the general election. As a result, Nixon lost the governor race by a crushing 5%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about an election, 5% is a pretty hefty margin, especially for a politician like Nixon, who just came out of a pretty strong presidential race. So this loss completely decimated Nixon. He largely blamed the press for this loss. And in a room of 100 reporters, Nixon announced, you don't have Nixon to kick around anymore because, <laughs> gentlemen, this is my last press conference. And with that, Nixon retired from politics. Yeah, I'm gonna call horse shit, Nixon. So yeah, it's, you know, this was kind of a short episode. I'm not sure why this guy's such a big deal. <laughs> he really wasn't that bad. 
Oh, yeah. Good joke. In 1967, Nixon told his wife that he planned on running for president again. And Nixon's competition looked fierce. Lyndon B. Johnson, who took over for Kennedy after he was assassinated, if you, you know, spoilers, we're not going to go into all that, but Kennedy got assassinated and Lyndon B. Johnson took over. Lyndon B. Johnson was a wartime president, which are notoriously hard to beat. Which, again, the Vietnam War is in full swing right now. We're not going to go into all that, but Vietnam's a big deal. However, public unrest was growing as LBJ began to be seen as cruel in his handling of Vietnam. Crowds would gather and chant, Hey, hey, LBJ, how many kids did you kill today? And so LBJ dropped out of the presidential race, fearing that he would not win re-election. There was also Robert Kennedy, and the idea of another Kennedy v. Nixon election did not look good for Tricky Dick. However, Robert Kennedy was assassinated during his celebration after winning two states in the Democratic primary. So there's two of Nixon's biggest rivals out of the picture. And this left the Democratic Party with LBJ's vice president, Hubert Humphrey. Which isn't great when LBJ himself dropped out due to low popularity. In fact, Humphrey's political ads stopped referring to him as Vice President Humphrey and opted instead for Democratic Candidate Humphrey. Humphrey campaigned on ending the Vietnam War through peace talks, which were getting very close at the time. And according to the New York Times, Nixon told one of his aides that they should find a way to secretly monkey wrench peace talks in Vietnam for fear that progress towards ending the war would hurt his chances for the presidency. <coughs> uh, objection. Speculation. Uh, well, I said according to the New York Times. <coughs> oh, okay. Well, then we already know it's... Are you just like a Nixon cheerleader? What is happening here? You do realize this is I really wish you hadn't, right? I do really wish you hadn't. I do really wish you hadn't. We're doing the stuff that he shouldn't have done. Right. I get it. I'm not a Nixon supporter. You're really going hard on supporting Nixon. Okay. Okay. Let's continue and we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. Next thing in my notes. What a dick move. Oh my God. That was... You were a little rough inserting that dick joke. You know what's funny? When I wrote What a Dick Move, it wasn't me like trying to boost the dick count in this episode. But we've boosted the dick count. Can you guys stop saying dick? You all are making me look bad. What, you want us to stop saying dick? Yes. Just because your number of us saying dick is too low? Yes. I think we're going to cut a lot of these dicks. That's not getting cut. <laughs> oh, no. That's the least. That's no, I didn't want that. Anyway, so President Johnson said that this put blood on the hands of Nixon, and the Senate Minority Leader took it a step further, calling Nixon's move treason. And I'm going to do a split I really wish you hadn't on this episode, one for malice and one for stupidity. And this is definitely my malice I really wish you hadn't. You can't call it stupidity because Nixon ends up winning the presidential election, but, like, continuing Vietnam just so you could win presidency is so evil. Like, <laughs> if it's true, I get it. This is just according to the New York Times. It's conjecture. But that's a big if. Yeah. But the New York Times is a credible source. It's not like the New York Times just puts stuff out there. I mean, it's a big if. I don't want to take a position on a 1960s New York Times article. I mean, it's it wouldn't surprise me if if he actually did say that. I'm not taking Nixon's side here, but it also really wouldn't surprise me if it wasn't true. Yeah, I mean, knowing what we know now, it's not that hard to believe. I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a rough point, and we're going to keep getting into Nixon, 
So let's keep getting into Nixon. Okay, so yeah, Nixon wins the presidency. And as Michael is saying, Vietnam has not been going good by any means. And something that you didn't say, Michael, is uh, Walter Cronkite. And, you know, if you're an American, you should know Walter Cronkite. If you don't know Walter Cronkite, go on YouTube. He's probably the most influential news anchor, news person of all time in American history. You should definitely know who he is. Go on YouTube, look him up. Third time we say go to YouTube. Walter Cronkite did a visit to Vietnam during the Vietnam War. And while he was there, he essentially said, I don't see a way that we can win Vietnam at this point. And Lyndon B. Johnson said, if I have lost Cronkite, I've lost the American people. That's how influential this guy was. And it's part of the reason that Johnson decided to pull out because he was, you know, no one was really supporting him anymore. Got to pull out that Johnson. Yeah, you got to pull out that Johnson and insert that dick. So (laughs) Richard Nixon took office in January 1969. The U.S. at this time had been sending combat troops to fight in Vietnam since 1965, and some 31,000 American lives have been lost. 31,000 American lives had been lost. The United States was spending between 60 and $80 million per, does anyone want to guess, per hour day it was day you went too low i that was my fault i shouldn't have set you up for it the u.s was spending between 60 and 80 million dollars per day on the vietnam war you want to compare that to like modern wars though like yeah it's let's not that's not what we're talking about this time michael okay sorry sorry for sidetracking everything Uh, so nixon wanted to leave the war but not look like he was abandoning vietnam So his desire was to achieve a peace with honor. In 1969, he announced his administration's plan for Vietnamization. Vietnamization. And it doesn't really flow off the tongue well, but it was designed by the Secretary of Defense, Melvin Laird. And this would gradually train the South Vietnamese to fight their own war while gradually removing U.S. troops. Does it sound familiar? Oh, it sure does. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. Hey, I thought we weren't doing modern stuff. Oh, yep. So, <laughs> in the previous administration, and this is a Nixon quote, in the previous administration, we Americanized the war in Vietnam because that was Kennedy and Johnson's thing, or mainly Johnson's thing americanizing the war but nixon said in this administration we are vietnamizing the search for peace so he was saying let's stop trying to make vietnam be like americans let's stop trying to make them be like our democracy let's introduce them to peace democracy and let them make their own country out of it which is really their entire strategy So uh, this is what he ran on coming into the office. When he came into the office, there were some bombings in Cambodia. People got upset about it. But really, he was saying, you know, we have to still run the war in the interim so that we can set up my plan. My plan to make Vietnam Vietnam, make them love democracy, make them love freedom. There were a lot of protests. And, you know, during this day, Nixon's remembered a lot for being the Vietnam president which isn't really fair when you consider the role that Johnson played, the role that Kennedy played. But even still, amid active protests in the U.S., he took the number of troops in Vietnam from 549,000 in 1969 to 69,000 in 1972. So he really started dropping it back during his time in office. 
1973, Nixon agreed to a peace deal with the Viet Cong. There would be a 60-day ceasefire, a return of all POWs, and the recognition of the South Vietnamese as their own government. His administration announced this deal as a great success, but a little too soon. South Vietnam fell to the North in 1975. And, you know, it was a great deal. It looked like a great deal. And maybe Nixon was a little bit too trustworthy. Maybe he was a little bit too trustworthy in North Vietnam, or maybe he just wanted to actually get out and he got what seemed like a deal and walked away. And we'll never know, but regardless, he inched us out, which was what he really wanted to do under the Vietnamization bill. And one little tidbit that I do want to toss in here, it's not really super pertinent, but it is a tidbit nonetheless. So y'all ever heard of someone named Hillary Clinton? Mm -mm. What's she all about? I know, strangely enough, we've talked about Hillary Clinton in a few of our episodes, but she actually... Is she that lady that sells goop? Something like that. She's also blonde. So Democrat Hillary Clinton did a college internship with Melvin Layard. Now, Melvin Layard is the man who designed Vietnamization, and he is the creator of that strategy. So in 2008, Reader's Digest did an interview with Melvin Layard in which he stated, I've always kidded Bill Clinton that Hillary went wrong after meeting him. And this, of course, is meaning Nixon. She was a good Republican when she worked for me, <laughs> which is a little bit of interesting of a tidbit. Wait, so so he's saying that Hillary Clinton became a Democrat after meeting Richard Nixon? Yes, that's that's what he's saying. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know, right? So, I mean, Nixon was a strong presence. He Vietnam shouldn't have happened in the first place. We can all look back and say that now, that it was a mistake. And maybe Nixon wasn't quick enough in pulling out of Vietnam. But, you know, it's it's a difficult situation. The U.S. hadn't really faced... Well, they'd faced Korea, and they thought, you know, we held the line in Korea, we can hold the line in Vietnam, which is really what Nixon was thinking at this point in time, if I had to guess, and it didn't work in Vietnam. Vietnam eventually did get taken over by the Viet Cong, so, you know, it's it's a tough situation. Yeah. Well, you know, he may or may not have uh, delayed peace talks, but that's neither here nor there. Conjecture? It's conjecture. Yeah, so I think the big thing to remember when you are talking about Richard Nixon is that in the time that he was president, domestic policy was foreign policy. This is the height of the Cold War. Both countries have nukes pointed at each other. Kids are being taught to get under their desks, which are, as we all know, nuke-proof. The <laughs> Vietnam War has just left a fresh generation of Americans feeling like their government failed them. Yep. And in particular, Red China is growing as a superpower. I say Red mm -hmm. China. It is very much a, I don't know, is it? I feel like it's derogatory at this point, but... Red China? No. That's, I mean, they're communist. They're a communist in name. I feel like if you're talking to a, well, if you're talking to a communist party member, which the communist party is what controls China... They would not be offended by being referred to as Red China. I don't know. Anyway, I, I felt weird. Maybe putting they it in would. My notes. I don't think so. All right. It's fine. At least the public perception is they are very communist and they're proud of that quotation marks. So as a result, Richard Nixon needed Henry Kissinger. Henry Kissinger was Nixon's national security advisor and later his secretary of state. Kissinger believed, as well as Nixon, that the path to peace was through detente, which essentially means everybody just needs to be cool. 
you're cool. We're cool. <laughs> Let's all just relax. Let's put the nukes down. Everybody's cool here, bro. I would like to point out now that detente is the IRWYH position on all things. We're cool. You're cool. Everybody's cool. Put the nukes put down. Put the nukes down. <laughs> <laughs> So Nixon had really had this belief ever since he was vice president. He believed that a good path towards detente would be to improve relations with the People's Republic of China. And as a result, Kissinger started making secret trips to Beijing in order to advance diplomatic relations. And in 1971, Nixon announced that he would be visiting China to meet with PRC leaders. Nixon's visit to Beijing became known as the week that changed the world. It diminished the strong ties that China had to the Soviet Union, and it opened the doors for capitalist nations to begin doing business in Chinese markets and vice versa. It was said that only Nixon could go to China. That's because he was so anti-communist that nobody could argue that he was being soft on communism. <laughs> you want to say something? like a I rally mean, over there? What's happening? Yeah, no, the thing, like, this is the thing. He is the diplomat. Nixon's role should have been diplomat. He is probably one of the most significant and best diplomats we have ever had as a country. And the fact that he opened up Russia, he opened up China, and he's seen as being so hard on communism. He didn't open up Russia. Come on. Da, ba, ba, Here's ba, the ba. thing. Oh, we're going to talk about it later. I think he was good. I think he was good in the role that he did. We'll get into this later. Let's let's move on. Yeah. I, I want to have this conversation. I really do. But I feel like our listeners need more information Otherwise, we're just going to make no sense. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they should also form their opinions before we get into ours. Yes. So shortly after this meeting, Nixon was invited to attend a summit in Moscow. And Nixon sat down with Soviet leaders to discuss disarmament, resulting in the signing of the Anti-Ballistic Missile Treaty and the First Strategic Arms Limitation Treaty, meaning that detente was working. As a result, Nixon and Kissinger were both named Time People of the Year in 1972, which is ironic since Time Magazine kind of bombed Nixon's presidential campaign in 1960 by asking President Eisenhower the question about what Nixon had been contributing, but whatever. Needless to say, Nixon was wildly popular as the man who ended Vietnam, the man who opened China to the world, and the man who drew the path to peace with the USSR. There was literally nothing that could happen to sour his reputation. Literally nothing. Absolutely, completely, unbreakably popular, and even if something bad happened, it would be overshadowed by his immense <laughs> success and popularity, and we're lucky that nothing bad happened, but even if it could, nothing would have resulted with that, so we can end the episode right here. So, my beautiful, wonderful, sensual listeners, if you can't tell, that's Michael setting me up for Watergate. What's Watergate? Uh, so, like you said, he's doing great. Public opinion is all for Nixon. People love Nixon. He's great. I mean, civil rights, ending Vietnam, being for the American people, being against the communists, really promoting our way of life. And I mean, he's just coming out of the 60s. He's just coming out of the 50s, which is arguably the best time in American history. Like, people look back on that now fondly. They love that point in time. It's because of all the weed. <laughs> and psychedelics. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and psychedelics. Psilocybin. Fuck yeah. So. LSD, bro. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. 
So the government was giving out LSD to people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So we got to move on past the LSD. We also had Joplin and Hendrix and all sorts of other great things. We'll get into the fact that the CIA was <laughs> dosing people in a later episode. Will we? <laughs> I hope so. God, I hope so. In 1972, Nixon's coming up to an election. His Democratic challenger, liberal Senator George McGovern, wasn't doing so hot. I mean, like we said, Nixon's doing fantastic. So come up to the election, and a landslide victory, Nixon beats him, receiving almost 20 more million popular votes and winning the Electoral College vote 520 to 17 over George McGovern. Public opinion polls during the campaign indicated President Nixon had an overwhelming lead. McGovern was too radical. He endorsed things like immediately withdrawing from the war with no support and a minimum income for everyone else, not a minimum wage, a minimum income. And regardless on your stance now, imagine having that stance in 1972. So, you know, before the elections, you would think there's nothing for Nixon to worry about. There's nothing for his campaign to worry about. All the polls are showing that he's going to win this thing overwhelmingly, which he does. There's no reason for Nixon to be worried. But here's the point where I say that Nixon was a little bit paranoid. And this is my I really wish you had moment. Because there was no reason. He was doing relatively a great job being president. He was doing what the American people wanted, whether you agree with it now or you don't. He was the voice of the people in the time that he was running. So before the election, there was a small little thing that happened. There was a burglary at the DNC headquarters at the Watergate complex in Washington, D.C. And can I point out here, mm -hmm. is, it's a hotel now, right? Right, it is a hotel. But at the time, it was an apartment complex, right? It was a complex, yep. So that's what I have. You're mm -hmm. telling me the DNC headquarters was in an apartment complex? Okay, so you have like floors in a building right mm -hmm. I, i'm familiar with floors <laughs> some of those floors <laughs> may be residential some of those floors may be offices uh, mm -hmm. so the dnc was set up in an office in the watergate complex which was also apartments and it was also it was you know apartments okay. and businesses it was a big that building. makes sense because the way that it's been described and the things that i've been listening to it's like the watergate apartment complex i thought it was a hotel well i think it is now well, and that's what i always heard was watergate hotel so this yeah. is news to me that it's not a, it wasn't a hotel at the time yeah. anyway going into this episode i believed it was a hotel listeners email me if i'm wrong let me know when i'm wrong because i'm probably wrong a lot and i need y'all to email me and let me know he just wants emails. We're all so starved for social attention right now. <laughs> <laughs> I need your attention. That's why I make podcasts. So <laughs> I think at the time there was partially a hotel in it. There were people that had apartments and there was also like offices. It's not important to the story. We're just going to call it Watergate. <laughs> so <laughs> Watergate happened. So before the election, there was a burglary at the DNC in Watergate. Not a big deal, you would think. but. Rumors began to circulate that it was Nixon's campaign that was responsible. Now, he downplayed these rumors by saying it was politics as usual. People were trying to smear his campaign, and Nixon hated politics. He hated bureaucracy. In a lot of ways, his followers bought it. The American people bought it. Then came along Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein. 
They had an anonymous source that they referred to as Deep Throat that claimed that not only was it Nixon staffers that broke into Watergate, but Nixon was in on it from the get-go. Nixon denied this, saying that he didn't know anything about the burglary until after the fact, but the story gained national attention, and his staffers were charged with the crime, and his story started to fall apart in a lot of ways. Now, Nixon was paranoid. He recorded all the meetings that he had in the Oval Office. He recorded everything that happened during his presidency. And this is a very popular thing. Many people knew this. So when the Watergate controversy started to come to light, a lot of people started requesting that he release his tapes from the Oval Office. Now, he refused to release his recordings to the investigation into Watergate, claiming that it was his executive privilege to keep those tapes. There is some rationality to this. The president talks about things that the American public might not need to know about, or at least certain presidents might think that the American public doesn't need to know about. But in July 1974, the first of three articles of impeachment were filed against Nixon, charging him with obstruction of justice. The House Judiciary Committee, controlled by Democrats, opened the impeachment hearings against him, and the Supreme Court said, nah, that executive privilege stuff is a load of shit, and made him give him the tapes. And that's an exact quote from the Supreme Court. That's an exact quote, yeah. Was Ruth Bader Ginsburg on the Supreme Court at this point? <laughs> Yeah, she was the one that said it. She said, this is a load of horse shit. <laughs> if I'm correct, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been on the Supreme Court since about 1794. That that sounds right. <laughs> one of the secret recordings that he turned in pretty much confirmed the allegations of the cover-up. And even went as far to indicate that Nixon was looped in from the very beginning. He knew it was happening. And... <sighs> I, I want to go back to something you said, because I mentioned previously that I have a two-parter I really wish you hadn't. My I really wish you hadn't of stupidity is just any of this. Like, have you looked at the electoral map of 1972? Right, he was gonna win it. There was no doubt at all. Colin, I want your reaction live. I want you to go and do the 1972 presidential election <laughs> on Wikipedia and look at the electoral map. 1972 United States presidential. Oh, uh, uh, that's yeah. Okay, that's a lot of red. It's all red. No, that's all no. red. Massachusetts. He he won 49 states and lost one. Massachusetts and was blue. And DC. and DC. Who gives a shit? And DC was yellow for Hospers. He won 49 states. Do you really think that's because of Watergate? He was doing fine. He was on top of the world. Yes. Who's George McGovern? That's the guy he was running against. Right, but who is George? That, that's the problem, right? Exactly. Who was Hubert Humphrey? Like, he was so popular, but he just couldn't accept his popularity and, like, understand. Well, it's because of paranoia. And how many people have we seen this destroyed? I think paranoia is a mental disease. <laughs> it's definitely a mental... It's literally a mental because disease. Because if he hadn't been paranoid, like, no, don't send your staffers in to raid that place. You already know that you're going to win. You're already yeah. so far ahead. There's no point. Yeah. So, regardless, Nixon was largely responsible for Watergate, as is widely believed there's no he was never convicted of anything i'm going to boil this down to the essence watergate complex is where the dnc headquarters is richard nixon's supposedly campaign breaks in 
Richard Dixon says he doesn't know anything about it. It's not his campaign. It comes out that it is his campaign that did it. He says he didn't know anything about it. Proof comes out that probably he did know something about it. Not only did he know something about it, he was involved. So that's it. I mean, I feel like at this point, we're at a place historically where we can say Nixon maybe didn't know before it happened, but he definitely knew after it happened and he actively sought to cover it up. The smoking gun tape pretty much confirms he knew after the fact. So anyway, it happened, he got caught, and now he has to face the consequences. On August 9th, 1974, Richard Nixon announced to the American public that he would be resigning from his position as President of the United States, making his Vice President Gerald Ford our 38th President. Many believe that Ford would pardon Nixon, though few thought that he should. Ford reached out to Nixon to offer a pardon in exchange for a letter of contrition, which is basically an apology expressing remorse for what he had done. Nixon refused, insisting that he had done nothing wrong and had nothing to apologize for. Ford cut his losses and agreed to pardon him anyway. On September 8, 1974, less than a month after Ford had taken office, Richard Nixon was granted a full, free, and absolute pardon. But what's interesting is the pardon doesn't mention Watergate. It says that he is pardoned for, quote, all offenses against the United States which he, Richard Nixon, has committed or may have committed or taken part in during the period of January 20th, 1969 through August 9th, 1974, end quote. So he could have done literally anything during that time period and he just gets a blank check. Like (laughs) anything that happened in that time period, you are solid, dude. I shot a guy. Fuck it. I took that tag off my mattress. (laughs) so ford's pardon of nixon completely bombed his political career which i admit is kind of weird to say about someone who has just achieved the rank of president of the united states but post pardon ford's approval rating fell from 71 percent down to 50 percent i mean how often do people talk about ford they don't yeah And in fact, the nation was so distrusting of Ford that allegations rose that Ford proposed a pardon in exchange for Nixon's resignation. And this led to Ford having to testify before the House Judiciary Committee. But honestly, I don't think that accusation makes sense. Like, maybe it's just me not understanding, but like... See, that's one of the points in the story where, once again, we disagree. Because I think that Ford approached Nixon and he said, you know what? And it's well known the RNC approached Nixon was like, we're not going to support you in this. It's very obvious that you screwed up mm-hmm. and we have to take the action against you. And I think Ford said, you know what? I can kind of save some of the things that you're doing. Make me president. Go ahead and resign. Make me president. I'll go ahead and pardon you. I think that's definitely a talk that happened. I, and it may have, but like, what's... I I don't know, and that's what I think I just don't understand, is like, what's wrong about that conversation? I guess it's quid pro quo, which is literally like right. kind of a, a modern contention point, but... What's the chance that he actually... I mean, do you think Nixon gets removed from office from the Senate if he gets impeached? Like, yes. is he under pressure? Yes, that's the reason that he resigned, because he knew that he would. He, you RNC, think he would have got removed? Yes, the RNC report. Yeah, most likely. That's the reason. It's only been brought up against four presidents. Johnson didn't deserve it. Johnson, it was literally because people didn't like him. Nixon, you know, only facing one before him. That's fair. 
his RNC told him, we're not going to support you in this. Because at the time, America wasn't as divided amongst party lines. You had a lot of people that would vote like Republican one year and Democrat the next and Republican one year. They didn't care. But that's become a lot more divided in the recent years. So it's easy to say like, oh, would he actually be removed? Certainly. Yeah. Certainly the RNC was against him. And once he saw the RNC was against him, he was like, you know what? My own party's against me. I have to back out of this. Oh, there you go. Okay. And and nothing is better proof of that fact than just go look at Nixon's televised speech whenever he's announcing his resignation. It's not like he straight up says, I've never been a quitter. I know that I don't have the congressional support that I would need to continue fighting this. Like he's been told, hey, you're you're done. Like we're not we, we can't fight this for you. Because he knows that, he's just got to quit because he's not going to win it. I think it's kind of unspoken. Like, I don't think they would even need to say anything. Maybe they did, and maybe that's against the law. But even if he was removed by Congress, I still think Gerald Ford would have pardoned him. Like, I don't think it matters that he resigned. Again, it's weird to, because of, like, modern terms. I don't see it as a quid pro quo because I don't think that the circumstances would have mattered. Yeah whether Gerald Ford like, took office because Richard Nixon resigned or if he was removed by Congress. I think it was an honorable thing, and Gerald Ford did it as a sign of respect. Would have done it well, even if he'd on. been removed. I think you're right. I, I've got more to say on this topic. Okay. Ford went on to lose the 1976 presidential election to a simple peanut farmer from Georgia named Jimmy Carter, <laughs> due in no small part to the pardon that he gave to Richard Nixon. And according to the New York Times, Ford always carried in his wallet a piece of paper quoting a Supreme Court decision that suggests that a presidential pardon carries a claim of guilt, and to accept such a pardon is to confess your guilt. So Ford never really let this go. Like, he saw his pardon as him saying, Richard Nixon's guilty, but I'm pardoning him. However, in a 2004 interview, Ford said, quote, I had no hesitancy about granting the pardon because I felt that we had this relationship and I didn't want to see my real friend have the stigma, end quote. And I don't know that Ford was really able to save Nixon from having that stigma of being a crook. But I'll save that discussion for episode footnotes. Well, here's the thing with Ford. You had Nixon coming from this presidency where Eisenhower was his president. Nixon was the vice president. And that had given Nixon a lot more power. He was a lot closer to the president as vice president. Whereas when he came into his own term and he had Gerald Ford... And maybe not as much, maybe as much with Spear Agnew, but Gerald Ford, he was very close to him. And Ford saw this as, I'm close to Nixon, regardless of my political convictions, regardless of what he actually did. I have to pardon him on this. That speaks a lot to Nixon's character. I don't know that it really speaks to Nixon's character as much as it is human nature. Like, at the end of the day, you grow a relationship to people... If I was president, I would pardon either one of you. Like, no question. Exactly. But that's what I'm saying. Don't, isn't that what you want? Isn't that what you want in a president? That human connection in people? No, absolutely not. I mean, that's the thing is like, none of us should ever be president is the thing. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> By doing this podcast singularly, we have ruled that out. Oh, that yeah. That will not happen. But regardless, isn't that what you, you like? You want your, you want your president to have those human connections. To a certain extent, but as a president, you kind of become America. Like, you have the expectation of being America. You lose all 
personal tendencies, which is something that I honestly believe Nixon had. I don't think Nixon would have pardoned Ford. I think he would have. I think he would have. I don't think he would have. Nixon was all about honor. And it was okay. You could have lied to the American people if you were doing it honorably. And you could do Watergate as long as if it, it was honorable because he believed that he was best for the U.S. And like, even if he went against the DNC a little bit unfair, it was honorable. I, I completely disagree. I don't think Nixon cared about honor at all. Mm. I think he saw he was right. Here's the, here's what kills me about Nixon is I think he did the wrong thing for the right reason. Exactly. But the fact that he did the wrong thing means honor doesn't mean a whole lot to him. No, but that's exactly what honor is. No, it isn't. That's the opposite. So after his impeachment, he was somewhat of a broken man, you could say. But in the following years, he was starting to already plan his comeback. So in August 1977, Nixon met with British commentator David Frost for a series of public interviews. And while many expected this to go against Nixon, really it kind of boosted his public perception. He did well in these interviews. He explained his desire to help the American people, what he was doing. He never admitted guilt for what happened in Watergate. Now, regardless of this, he was still facing a massive debt from his impeachment legal battle. So he had to sell off all of his properties in Florida. And in 1978, he published R.I.T., The Memoirs of Richard Nixon. Now, he sold the rights to this book for $2 million, which his impeachment legal costs were around a million dollars at this time, so he, he covered that. But this became a bestseller, just like his other book had, and just like his future books would go on to be. Because, you see, after this, in 1983, he wrote Real Peace, a book on national diplomacy, bestseller. No More Vietnams in 1985. So he wrote a book in 1988 called 1999, Victory Without War. I know that's slightly confusing. Just just take a second. Let your brain work through it. In the Arena came out in 1990. Seize the Moment came out in 1992. And Beyond Peace came out in 1994. So he was a very successful author at this time. And these were all books on international diplomacy. His time as the presidency. He also discreetly, and i got to emphasize discreetly, he advised Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan, and George Bush on foreign affairs. George Bush Sr., right? George Bush Sr. So, I mean, he he's still the master of international diplomacy. Vietnam didn't work out, but he had Russia, he had China at this time, and we'll get into that. But he's doing well. He's written all these books. He's gotten back involved in the frame, and... You know, these presidents still want to talk to him because they still recognize his value. The reason he was the diplomat. He was the American diplomat. But in 1993, his wife, Pat, that he met doing community theater, passed away due to lung cancer. Now, Dixon took this loss hard. And on April 22nd, 1994, coincidentally the same day this podcast is coming out, and just 10 months after his wife's death, he died of a massive stroke in New York City. Now, Nixon was buried on the grounds of the Nixon Library in Yorba Linda, the same town in which he was born and grew up. His eulogy was presented by President Bill Clinton, Senator Robert Dole, California Governor Pete Wilson, and his second Secretary of State, Henry Kissinger. And Dole said of his life and death that, quote, 
I believe the second half of the 20th century will be known as the age of Nixon. No one knew the world better than Richard Nixon. And as a result, the man who was born in a house that his father built would go on to become the century's greatest architect of peace. I love history. This was the first episode we got to do on history, so I was really excited about it. And But Nixon's a hard topic. He he did things that were wrong. I don't want to argue that he wasn't wrong. He was definitely wrong. But there's a point of being wrong and you're being wrong for the right reasons. You're being wrong because you honestly think that you're doing what's best for the country. And you know, I'm, I'm not comparing it to right now because I don't want to get into there. But I'm just going to bring up, you know, our traditional view of a politician is someone that's doing something wrong because he wants to get rich. He's doing something wrong because he wants to push his profile i don't think that nixon was like that by everything that you look at he literally wanted to do what he thought was best for the american people he didn't do it in the right way he should have been impeached he was wrong don't get me wrong there and this is like i've said a more serious topic than we've covered before but there's something that you have to respect out of the man there's something that more that i respect for gerald ford because of his pardon and i get where he was coming from with that yeah, I mean, I completely agree. Like, that's kind of the conclusion that I came to. Like, we went into this. I mean, we picked this topic because mm-hmm. Richard Nixon is known for Watergate. You know him as the guy who, you know, went through this impeachment trial. He broke into the DNC headquarters. Like, he was doing some shady stuff. McCarthyism. McCarthyism, McCarthyism is not McCarthyism, okay. Yeah. You should be, if you if you feel like communism is the best way to go, you should be a communist. You shouldn't have to report that to anybody. Whatever yeah. your political beliefs are, you're entitled to have them. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah for you. But it's a different time, right? Like, we're, we're able to say that now. Right, but... He had America's opinion. America didn't want communism. He was time person of the year twice in a row. Like, he was America's president. But he was so, like, self-conscious. So, I mean, I guess the the theme of the episode is confidence. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Because, I mean, shit, if all the polls are showing that you're going to win the election, you're very happy about your results... Your opponent is way... Like, go for it, dude. You're winning. Just go for it. You don't have to cheat. You already got it. You already have America's approval. You just won the election by the largest margin. Well, to be fair, he didn't know that going into Watergate. Like, that was the whole point. But, like... But still... uh. But I believe... I truly believe, and this is my personal belief... That he did it because he knew that he was doing good things, right? Like, he ended Vietnam. He was getting there with the USSR. He was getting there with China. He was getting there with civil rights. Like, for him to lose the 1972 election would be devastating. Right. So he had to do everything that he could to make sure that he won. I'm not agreeing with what he did. I think it's wrong. But he'd already lost so much before that you can see where he gets these skepticisms because he'd already lost multiple elections. Right, exactly. I mean, he lost to Kennedy. Like, yeah, who was arguably not that great of a president. And I mean, I'm not I'm not taking the position that Kennedy wasn't that great. But I'm saying that my father grew up in Cuba. My grandfather was stationed in Cuba and he they grew up as Americans. I'm not going to say that they were Cubans, but, you know, our family has a lot of positions on Cuba. And Kennedy, 
I'm starting to understand why you've been arguing against Kennedy this entire no, episode. No, no, I don't have anything wrong with Kennedy. I think that Kennedy had a lot of great ideas. And that's not what I'm saying, that he was wrong. But I'm saying that there are reasons that people didn't like Kennedy. And, I don't know. I, I'm not a Nixon supporter. I would like to point out that, you know, we're talking this way about Nixon, but we're not even very conservative people. Michael, no. do you consider yourself conservative? I don't consider no. myself conservative. Uh, no. Colin, I don't know where you're at. Colin does. We're we're non-conservative people talking this way highly about Nixon. Yeah. And it's no one's twisted my arm to be this way. It's just that I honestly think whether he was right or wrong, he thought that he was doing what was best for the American people, which is something that I want to see in every politician. Yeah. Sorry, Colin. I didn't mean to like point a finger. I just didn't want to like lump you into that conversation. USA America Trump 2020. There Keep America <laughs> great. Spin them tires. So, yeah, I I mean, honestly, I believe that Nixon's one of the last presidents that I can say acted in the way that I want a president to run the country in that I think he fully had the American people's interest in mind. I, I feel like Carter as well completely had America's best interests at heart, but he didn't know how to be a politician. And that was kind of Nixon's downfall. He always did what he thought was America's best interest. Yeah. Anyway, in Star Trek VI, Captain Kirk has to go to negotiate with the Klingons. Yep. And Spock says that an old Vulcan proverb is only Nixon could go to China, meaning that Captain Kirk is the only person that could go to negotiate with the Klingons because he's been at war with them for so long. And he draws a parallel to the fact that Nixon is so anti-communist that he's the only person that could have gone to China and not be criticized for it. I'm going to make you comment there because I believe Colin, Colin, I'm going to need your attention. I'm listening. Is it every episode that I've called one of you two a nerd? I don't know if it's every episode. Just but about though, right? Definitely most episodes. Definitely most. Is this the time? I love Star Trek. I know you and do, I'm you fucking nerd. so happy oh, that you man. made that reference. Oh my god, I love Star Trek so much. It's, I know. It's the best. You're a nerd. It's better than Star Wars. I've never seen anything Star Trek. I've never seen a single Star Trek thing. Be that's your problem. If you start, you're going to love it. And Jean-Luc Picard is the best. Regardless, we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. Well, as a part of the American National Exhibition, which is where he was showing off the American houses. So he was the main person to go. Eisenhower didn't go. Eisenhower couldn't be seen in the USSR. That was our enemy. So he got a request from PepsiCo to show off Pepsi. So he took Pepsi and he had Kirchhoff try the Pepsi. And there's actually a picture of Nikita Kirchhoff drinking Pepsi with Richard Nixon. In 1972, Pepsi became the first, and keep in mind, this, this whole event happened in 1959. In 1972, Pepsi became the first capitalistic brand produced in the Soviet Union. And who do we have to thank for that? Richard, Richard Nixon. Nixon. Thanks, bro. The last thing I wanted to mention was, in 2001, former President Gerald Ford was given the John F. Kennedy Profile and Courage Award for his pardon of Richard Nixon. In presenting the award to Ford, Senator Ted Kennedy said that he had initially been opposed to the pardon of Nixon, but later stated that history had proven Ford to have made the right decision. Hell yeah. Regardless of where you stand on today's political spectrum, 
it has become commonplace for us to think of the opposite party as a bad person. And I honestly think that he is not a bad person. Hey guys, I just did a control F on our transcription and it says we said dick 21 times. All right, guys. So thanks for joining us. It's been lovely to have you beautiful listeners here checking out this topic with us. Follow us on Twitter at IRWYH podcast. Follow us on Instagram at I really wish you hadn't. And if you have any topics you would like us to cover or you want to send us an audio file of your best Nixon impersonation, email us at podcast at I really wish you hadn't dot com. Take it easy, and I personally, and I know Colin and Michael do too, look forward to having you here the next time. I Really Wish You Hadn't is hosted by me, Michael Bentley, and came in McMahon. We are produced by Colin Moore. Intro and outro music by Attack Story. Our cover art is by Nickator. Please remember to subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, please don't break into the Watergate complex. And as always, don't do anything that I wouldn't do. Watch your down, down, down.